A warm good morning to all of you this day. It's Friday. It's not Sunday. It certainly is Friday. And we want to welcome you again. You already have been welcomed, but we want to welcome you to our Good Friday service. And we thank the Lord that he was prepared to sacrifice his life, his all, for us. And may we be blessed this morning as we once again hear from his word, but also as we once again reflect and think back what happened more than 2,000 years ago. As Jesus procured salvation, deliverance, restoration, and hope for us. We thank the Lord for that. And this morning, we want to say, welcome, welcome in his presence today. Let's pray together. Father, we want to thank you for loving us so much. It's beyond our ability to fathom your love for us. We cannot describe your love, We cannot, Lord, fathom how deep your love really is. But we know one thing. That if nobody else loves us, you truly and certainly love us unconditionally. And it's before you, King of Kings and Lord of Lords, that we bow this morning and express the fact that you are worthy, worthy of our worship, worthy of our best, worthy of being exalted, lifted up and glorified. And we pray this morning that as we hear from your word, that you will minister to us deeply and challenge us today. We thank you for those who are here, and we also pray for those who have been traveling and those who are traveling probably today too, that you will protect them and give them journey mercies, Lord. Thank you for the many people that are traveling during this weekend and uh, that we can bring them before you. Probably, Lord Jesus, one of, it's not even one of the, we can't even say probably, it is one of the most important weekends in the, in the Christian's life. And it is one of those important weekends where we got to give you the glory to your name. And I pray that even as they travel, that they will be so aware of your presence and your covering and protection over their lives. Now, Lord, we pray that you will bless your word and we pray that you will speak to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Now let's turn to Matthew chapter 26. We're going to go to Matthew chapter 26, the miracle that never occurred. Do you think there's a miracle that never occurred? Eh? Well, today we'll discover whether it is so. Eh? Let's read from verse 47 in Matthew chapter 26. While he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived. 
With him was a large crowd armed with swords and gloves, sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had arranged the signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him. Going at once to Jesus, Judas greeting, Judas said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. Jesus replied, Friend, do what you came for. Then the men stepped forward, seized Jesus, arrested him. With that, one of Jesus' companions reached for his sword, drew it out, struck the servant. We know it was Peter. <coughs> of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Put your sword back in its place, Jesus said to him. For all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think I cannot call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than twelve legions of angels? But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say, it must happen in this way. So far, may God bless the reading of his precious word. The night he was arrested, Jesus could have called for 12 legions of angels to rescue him from the hands of those who apprehended him, but he did not. This miracle that never happened never occurred, has the greatest influence on us for eternity. There were several people around Jesus the night of his arrest. In addition to talking about the miracles that ne never happened, let us examine some of these people and learn an important lesson from each one of them here today. And we're going to look at some of them and then last week we're going to put together and we're going to focus on the lamb that was slain. But firstly, we're going to, we, we start with Judas. There we are, the first person there in verses 47 to 49. Judas, and we, we've entitled, when we look at Judas, you kiss, you can kiss the door of opportunity and never get in. You can kiss the door of opportunity and never get in. How many times have we kissed the door of opportunity and we never got in? Can you think of times when you've been interviewed for a job? You kissed the door of opportunity. You thought you had it, but you missed it. But I want to say this, we're not talking about that kind of a door here, a door of opportunity in terms of employment. We're talking about another door. A door of salvation, a door of deliverance, a door where we are given purpose and direction. You can kiss the door of opportunity and never get in. Judas was the vilest of all the apostles because he betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. We know that. The name Judas will forever be associated with treachery, deception, and betrayal. Jesus kissed Jesus, and Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 9, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. Judas kissed the door of opportunity, yet never got in. He never got in. He kissed the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. But he never had a 
right relationship with him. He is a warning to everyone that you can have both spiritual association and spiritual participation and not really be saved. There are many people today, they have a spiritual association with the church. And they even participate in ministries, but they have never encountered Jesus. I pray that on this day, Good Friday, that it will be a Good Friday for you if you do not know him. And that today you will encounter the real Jesus who loves you unconditionally. Judas kissed the door of opportunity yet never got in. He is that warning. Judas was associated with the followers of Jesus. In fact, he was in the top 12. He was the top 12. He had an association and a participation, but he did not have salvation. Did you hear that? He was privileged to observe firsthand the life of Jesus. He saw his miracles. Judas heard the best teaching one could ever hear. He experienced the power of unconditional love. He was given the honor to, to be so close to Jesus, to walk with him and to be part of his life. But Judas only kissed the door of opportunity and he never got in. I want to say this to us as believers. Sometimes we kiss the door of opportunity. We get there but we don't want to go through with the things of the Lord. We won't want to go through with the Lord. Jesus went through. This reveals to us when you think of Calvary. Jesus went through for us. He went through the humiliation. He went through the mocking. He faced it all for us. And all he wants for us to do when we think of the cross is to go through with him and not Hold back. Yes, think of Judas, eh? The kiss of Judas was a kiss of betrayal. The Greek word means to kiss repeatedly. Do you understand that? Kissing, kissing Jesus repeatedly. Repeatedly kissing. How many times have we repeatedly betrayed the Lord? How many times have we repeatedly not gone through with Him when we should have? Are you just with me this morning? The mystery of Judas revolves around missing the best of Christ while surrounded with opportunity, missing the best. Judas goes beyond refusing to accept the gift of eternal life. He betrays the Son of God with a kiss. The Son of God, remember that. Failure may knock you off your feet, but we all know betrayal kicks you while you are down. Isn't it true? Jesus was down and they still mocked him. Betrayal kicks you while you are down. Have you been betrayed by someone lately? 
Betrayal kicks you while you are down, not while you are up. Has the Lord opened the door of opportunity that he has designed to bless you with this morning? Because this is what we're talking about, opportunity. You have an opportunity this morning to surrender all to him and to go through with him. Then seize that moment here this morning. Step out in faith and experience all that he has designed for you. Move through the door he has opened for you. When he opens doors, there is nothing the enemy can do to close them. And when he closes them, the enemy is helpless in trying to open them. Revelation 3, verses 7 to 8. I have set before you an open door that no man can shut. Isn't that true? Yes, that's the Lord. eh? When he opens doors, there is nothing the enemy can do. Enemy is helpless. How many missed opportunities that he has given us have come and gone because we failed to go through with him or failed to seize the opportunity and the moment to do the right thing and fulfill God's agenda and purposes for our lives. Judas went out, the Bible says, and committed suicide eventually. That's Judas, eh? That's the one personality. We still not at, we still have a few more personalities. We have Peter as well. Stop going on the defensive. Trust him. Verses 50 to 52. Now Peter thinks now he can defend the Lord and he can just go on the defensive even for themselves as well. Peter drew his sword when he should have remained calm. How do you like that? He drew his sword when he should have remained calm. How many times when you are in a situation of conflict, in a situation of misunderstanding, how many times do you draw the sword rather than remaining calm? That was Peter here. First he fought the wrong enemy. He was fighting the wrong enemy. That's the problem when we draw the sword. We fight the wrong enemy. Malchus here, we know what John speaks about in John 18 about the, the servant that was lost his ear for a, moment, for a few seconds and then re- received healing. Uh, as mentioned in John chapter 18, Malchus was not his enemy. He was just the servant of the high priest doing his job. The Bible says our struggle, brothers and sisters, is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against spiritual forces in evil, of evil, rather spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Ephesians 6 verse 12. Our battle is not against other people as much as we think it is. It's beyond that as believers. It's not against other people. Our battle is against evil forces and wickedness surrounding us daily. And those evil forces and wickedness would would influence other people, yes. But we still need to be aware that our battle is not against people, it's against those evil forces. Peter made a second mistake when he used the wrong weapon. How many times do we use the wrong weapon, eh? Our words sometimes destroy others, eh? discredit others. Isn't it true? It's a, sometimes we use our words for wrong reasons. Eh? 
And we say things that we should not say. Are you using words as a weapon this morning? Our attitudes. Wrong attitudes. That's a weapon that we can use huh? against others and against one another. What about wrong reactions? How about Peter Peter reacted wrongly? How many times do we react when we should not react? We should wait and listen. Jesus told Peter to put away his sword. The Bible says we do not wage war as the world does. You see, put away your sword. We as Christians do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Second Corinthians 10, 3 to 4. One of our problems today is that we have a lot of angry Christians. I'm not even saying, I'm not even saying our people. We have a lot of angry Christians who think it is their job to draw their swords and go on the defensive. Are you one of them this morning? Who wants to draw your sword all the time and go on the defensive? Peter was trusting in his sword for his confidence. But as long as his sword was drawn, he could not trust in Jesus. What sword are you tempted to rely upon rather than the Lord today? Do you feel entitled to have your sword drawn and slash away with all your might because of something in your life right now? What is it that you want to do? Jesus says, put your sword away. Put your sword away. I am up to something here. Do not mess it up. The battle is not yours. It is the Lord's. But then thirdly here this morning, eh, we, we, can you see what we're talking about? We're going to, we're building towards the cross, eh? but it's about the cross. The cross is that you can miss by not going through. You can miss your opportunities by not going through. And then we go to Malchus here this morning. The third one who lost his ear. Verse 52, Malchus, when you are wounded, let Jesus touch you. How do you like that? John points out that the servant's name was Malchus. He was wounded. Jesus touched and healed him. Maybe you are here today and you are convinced that your wounds are too deep for healing. He can touch and change you today. Maybe you have been verbally abused by someone who did not reflect the love of Christ to you. Let Jesus touch you this morning. You do not have to live with your hurt. He can touch you and heal you today. Jesus answers his enemies with gracious action. Jesus does not want to eliminate his enemies. Did you hear that? We want to eliminate our enemies. Isn't it true? Jesus doesn't want to eliminate them. He wants to heal them. That's Jesus. Eh? He wants to heal them. Love your enemies is lived out perfectly at this moment. You see, when I think of this here, grace is treating people in ways they do not deserve to be treated. And that is what Jesus did when he died for us on the cross of Calvary. He treated us the way we do not deserve. He gave his life, his all for us. 
when we were running from him as fast as possible, he tapped us on the shoulder and said, I have not forgotten you. That's what the Lord is saying to us here this morning. I have not forgotten you. I have not written you off. He cares so much for you that Jesus said he has numbered the hairs on your head. You know, numbered the hairs on your head. If he can number something as seemingly trivial as any hairs, then he is smart enough to know everything else about us as well. Isn't it true? He not only knows, but he cares. The point is the Lord knows things about you even you do not know about yourself this morning. And he loves you. And that's what the cross is all about this morning. That is what he is all about. Our King, our Lord and Savior. He knows you better than you know yourself. How precious to me, the psalmist says, are your thoughts. Oh God, how vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. Psalm 139, verses 17 to 18. Wow! Wow! Not only does he count your hairs, but he also thinks about you so many times each day. The number exceeds the grain of sand on the beach. So every time I walk on the beach and I see a grain of sand, of sand I said. Another thought of the Lord about me. Another thought of the Lord about me. Have you ever thought about that? Another thought of the Lord about me. He's always thinking about you and I. Even when I am not thinking about him, he's still thinking about me. Sparrows are some of the most common birds in the world, isn't it true? They, they only live in populated areas because they are hunters of leftovers. Jesus was making a point that he cares for the most common, unnoticed birds. Not a single sparrow is forgotten by him. He says we are worth more than sparrows this morning. Not a single one of us goes unnoticed. Matthew 10 verses 29 to 31. He sees you. He's aware of you this morning. He loves you. That's why he gave his life for you. And then, of course, we're going to Jesus here, fourthly and finally. Jesus, he could have saved himself. Instead, he surrendered himself for us. Verses 53 to 54. And Jesus said his father could send him more than 12 legions. Now, a legion was a word used by the Roman army that meant... 6,000 soldiers. Do you know that? So 12 12 legions would be 72,000 angels. And in 2 Kings, a few weeks ago when when we spoke about angels, we said that one angel, warrior angel, killed 185,000 people. Can you remember that? Now imagine 72,000 angels. How much damage could they have done that night? 72,000 angels. How much damage? If Jesus had given the word, these angel warriors could have literally wiped out the entire population of the planet. Oh, 
want you to see that. In heaven, the angels were armed. They were loaded. They were ready for the Father to give them the word. But Jesus surrendered himself to the cross rather than saving himself. Did you hear that? Jesus surrendered himself to the cross rather than saving himself. The reason Jesus did not call for angels to rescue him is because he loved us. He loves us so much. He was willing to suffer and even further to absorb. We know what a sponge is like, eh? To absorb the punishment for our son, Jesus. Are you grateful for Jesus this morning? Are you grateful that he did that? He absorbed your son, every son of yours, past, present, and future. He absorbed it on the cross. That's the miracle that never occurred. Twelve legions of angels. That's the miracle. That never occurred for you and I. Jesus did not call for that miracle so that another greater miracle could happen. Or rather, Jesus did not call, let me read that, Jesus did not call for that miracle so that another greater miracle could happen. So that he could come into your life. Forgive your sins and make you a new person. The greatest miracle that could ever happen to any one of us is the salvation of the Lord when he totally and radically transforms our lives. Makes us a new person when the old is gone and we are brand Spanking new. Is that the right word to use? That is the miracle that is happening daily. Jesus is transforming lives and changing lives daily. Thousands are coming to him daily. Because Jesus was not prepared to give up on us. At all. That is the miracle. Remember that. When you give your life for someone, it is the greatest gift possible. Isn't it true? Because you are giving all you have, there is nothing left. Yes. And repeat that. You know. When you give your life for someone, it is the greatest gift possible because you are giving all you have. There is nothing left. Take organ donation as, as an example here this morning. Occasionally you hear of someone donating a kidney to a family member. Have you heard that? Huh? And you know about that. However, I have never heard of a living donor volunteering to give their heart for a heart transplant. Have you heard of someone like that? Why? Because the operation would kill the donor. But that 
is exactly what Jesus did when he gave his life for us, brothers and sisters. That is exactly what he did. He gave all that he had, even his own life, to save us. He held nothing back. What are you holding back this morning? What are you holding back this morning? What is keeping you from surrendering all to him? And I want to conclude with Revelation 5. It refers to the Lion of the tribe of Judah. We've got to start. We started with Judah and we're going to end with the Lion of the tribe of Judah in Revelation 5. And the Lamb that was slain. Around the throne are myriads of angelic creatures. If you read Revelation 5. Glorious and awesome to behold. As you look toward the great throne, a Lamb stands in the center but it's not an ordinary lamb. This is the Son of God. This lamb has been offered as a sacrifice. He is standing, which means he is alive. But he appears to have been slain. You can read there in Revelation 5. The lamb bears on his body the marks of death. But he is alive. In the Old Testament, the Lamb appears on the altar. In the Gospels, he is on the cross. But in the book of Revelation, the Lamb is on the throne. Eh? On, up the throne, on the throne. At the center of God's plan of salvation. That's where the Lamb is. The Lamb who was slain now stands in victory. The lamb who was slain is now the lion of the tribe of Judah. He is the undisputed champion. He is the, the undisputed lord of lords and king of kings and conqueror. He is the lion. He is a lion in that he is the mighty king of all kings. He is a lamb because he was offered up as a sacrifice for the sins of the world. All of life is in his hands this morning. When the very worst happens, he is where he has always been, on the throne of the universe, watching over every detail of life. Nothing escapes his gaze. While the world seems to be falling apart, he holds the scroll, Revelation says. He holds it all, it all together. While the nations rise up against one another, he holds it all together. He holds the scroll. In the midst of perplexing circumstances, he determines the destiny of nations. His death had a definite purpose. The blood of Christ purchased a great host of men and women for salvation. Jesus came to the earth and searched through every tribe. You can read there in Revelation, every tribe. Every nation, every continent, every country, every state, every province, 
every city, every village, going up and down every street, searching out men and women to experience the best life ever in him. That is why the miracle never happened, never occurred. Because Jesus was thinking of you and I and what he could accomplish through us. Conclusion I want to read. Revelation 5. Just a few verses there. In verses 11 it says, And I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousand times ten thousand. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they sang, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Worthy is the Lamb. He is worthy for us to give him our very best. He's worthy, in fact, of our very best this morning. He's worthy to be served. He's worthy to be worshipped. He's worthy to be faithful to. He is worthy to be loved. He is worthy. The Lamb is worthy. Won't you surrender your life, your all, to the Lamb? For He is worthy. Worthy. Worthy, Jesus, King of kings, Lord of lords, Sovereign One. Amen. Father, thank you for who you are. Amen.